Hello, everyone, and welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is episode 108, and we're reviewing Cyberpunk Edge Runners. As always, there'll be spoilers throughout this episode. So, how have we been doing? How are you doing? I feel like a lot of other podcasts will ask uh, the co host, will ask the other co host, How have you been doing? What's new with you? How's your week been? But I kind of know the answer to all of that already. <laughs> Why do you need to know? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, as usual, uh, with my regular day job, um, right now it's a pretty busy time. Um, so it's it's been a bit of a struggle trying to balance things between the job and the podcast and uh, our personal lives. But you know, I think it's it's just expected around this time of year for me so I feel like I should get used to it but it never gets easier what about you um yeah work is busy but I'm just looking forward to Halloween I'm very excited for Halloween it's my mm -hmm. favorite holiday so why wouldn't I be excited for it I yeah, love you get a physical return on this holiday uh with with the candy and Oh, I didn't know what like you meant by physical return. I was like, <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Well, like Halloween and Christmas are like the two major holidays where you, you get something instead of it just being like a day off. Well, like, Thanksgiving, you get food. Yeah, <laughs> that's not like a like a direct direct gift to you. I guess. Right? But is the candy <laughs> a direct gift to you? Uh, yeah, it's trick or treat. I guess. But wait, what if you're too old to go trick-or-treating? Then do you get nothing? Oh, well, you can buy the candy. Or, I don't I don't know where I was going with this. <laughs> but yeah, Halloween is something to look forward to, even though we are approaching like the colder seasons now. Well, it's my favorite just because I love dressing up. I love chocolate. And I don't love scary things, but I enjoy the... Uh, I don't know. I enjoy like the the vibes, the spooky vibes that come along with Halloween. And we have a uh, a very interesting, uh, a fun episode planned for Halloween because Halloween does fall on a Monday this year and our episodes go live Monday. So look forward to that. We also recently went to a fun event that we can we could chat a little bit about, I think. Yes, it was the Trash Taste Tour featuring the boys from the Trash Taste Podcast. So Giguk, also known as Garnt, Sea uh, Dog VA, also known as Connor, and the Anime Man, also known as the Anime Man, <laughs> <laughs> Joey. Uh, yeah, I think they announced this tour a couple months ago or during the summer, and they're doing it uh, here in the U.S. I think through October. So they started in September. So we went to their show back in, last month. Uh, when they stopped by Chicago, uh, and of course we we had to go because I I think us along with a lot of our other brother and sister podcasts are are pretty much inspired by the work that the Trash Chase podcast put in 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 putting anime as a, a potential topic for podcasting, even though they rarely talk about anime. But the show itself was great. It wasn't like their regular podcast discussion formats, but I think the way that they approached the tour and the show was one that was very suitable for like interacting with the audience rather than us having to listen to 
their random discussions. Yeah, I didn't know what to expect. I thought, like, is it going to be just a straight-up trash taste episode? You just, like, sit there and, and you listen, which I wouldn't have minded because I'm, I'm a fan for a reason. Um, but, yeah, it was way more interactive than that. Um, and I think our whole experience was pretty cool because we had a couple of interesting things happen to us. Um, we had VIP tickets, so we got a bunch of, like, really cool like merch along with that um we met sydney at one point um at a very unexpected location sydney being sid snap who is also garnt's wife yes and um yeah it was just like a very a very fun time i would say um for those who are not able to see the tour but are fans of trash taste if they're ever coming through this area or your country or whatever definitely check them out because I had a really good time and it was kind of nice to be able to interact at a certain level with the boys themselves um, while also getting to know a little bit more about them, them getting to know a little bit more about Chicago and Chicagoans and the weird things that we like or dislike. Um, And yeah, I just thought it was a really good format. Yeah, I feel like they're going to learn a lot about America (laughs) because I think yeah, the tour is just for the U.S. and I think in the future they plan to go to other countries or continents across the world. Um, but yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see what they learn about the individual cities and states where they're doing the tours. Because like, I don't want to like spoil it too much for those listeners who uh, have yet or are planning to go to to the tour or to one of the shows, but. The the shows are specifically tailored in a way that it incorporates the identity of the area that each show is being performed in. So, yeah, I don't know if they're ever going to release like a, a, a compilation of the, the different uh, shows that they did across the cities and, and what comes of each show. But I think that would be a really intriguing thing to see from the tour. Oh, one other cool thing that happened. I was trying to remember this earlier. Um, I guess Connor did a live stream, like an, an IRL stream, the day before the Chicago show. So he was at Navy Pier and like uh, biking along the, the lake and everything. And some guy who lives here um, like stream sniped him, uh, helped him get a Divi bike, and then Connor invited him on the rest of his excursion. And then that guy got tickets to the show the following night. And then you got a picture with him. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, with the stream, it was it was kind of odd seeing Connor go around all of these places that we're familiar with. Because obviously we live in Chicago and are familiar with the, the downtown landmarks that he was passing by. But yeah, at the show, like I was watching that stream and I was watching... Connor interact with the stream sniper, whose whose name is Ryan, um, and then I was looking for him in the audience at the show because I knew that Connor had offered him the tickets, and I, I eventually spotted him in the crowd, and we had gone with uh, one of our friends, so I asked if he wanted to come with me to to say hi to Ryan and just just congratulate him on how well of a job he did representing uh, Chicago and, and the Midwest. He basically became a local <laughs> celebrity. <laughs> yes. Uh, so that, that was a fun thing, um, just meeting a quote-unquote celebrity um, on the tour. But yeah, all, all in all, it was, it was a great time. I don't think I've laughed that much um, during a live show uh, 
as with any other show I've been to before. I would say I haven't laughed that hard since the Tim and Eric show. Their 10th right. anniversary, like Tim and Eric, awesome job. Awesome show, great job. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, their anniversary tour for that, that was really great for anyone who's familiar with Tim and Eric. Um, that was like, that was fantastic. It, Same venue too. Yeah, actually, that, that's a good point. Um, yeah, the, I think what, what makes these types of shows really fun for us is these shows embracing the reason we're fans in the first place. So like Tim and Eric, awesome show, great job is one of our favorite shows. And that's what the their tour was based around. Trash Chase is one of our favorite podcasts and that's what their tour was based around, but still infused different elements. So you still get to be a part of or experience a part of like the thing that you love, but in a new format because you're getting to see it live. But for our amazing patrons out there, we are planning to do a bonus episode where we're going to talk all about our Trash Taste Tour experience, um, talk in depth about the tour itself, about meeting Sydney, about meeting Ryan, the different merch that we got. We'll share some pictures and, and everything in that um, patron bonus episode. So if you're not a patron and you're interested in supporting the Strictly Series of podcasts, then head over to patreon.com slash the Strictly Series. And speaking of our patrons, we do want to give a huge thank you to our patrons for this particular episode on Cyberpunk Edge Runners. We mm -hmm. were struggling. <laughs> we were struggling to decide what we wanted to review for this particular episode because summer 2022 gave us quite a few really good shows and we were like what do we review there are so many great ones cyberpunk edge runners was a late entry because it just kind of showed up in the middle of the season um kind of flew under the radar until gigguk and other people started talking about it so we were like fuck it let's have our patrons decide if if you and i can't agree then we're gonna have the patrons decide for us so yeah our amazing patrons voted and they picked cyberpunk edge runners and thank you so much patrons for doing so because i really enjoyed this show yes uh, i did as well but it, it's kind of weird that they, they chose this show because neither of us have played cyberpunk 2077 <laughs> so uh i don't know if it, if this our experience of edge runners would have fared better if we had played through the game but i as with you i i really enjoyed the show even having really no prior knowledge of the world of cyberpunk yeah, same here. And really quick, I do want to mention the other anime, actually the other options that were up for vote. Um, so our patrons were able to choose between Cyberpunk Edgerunners, obviously, um, Call of the Night, Lycoris Recoil, or a discussion episode. And Cyberpunk Edgerunners won with a 63% majority of the vote. So yeah, that's why we're reviewing it today. But I, I don't even know if I would have fully committed to watching this anime or at least done so in a timely manner if it wasn't for our patrons voting for this. So thank you again, guys. You guys are amazing. Um, thanks for being that catalyst to push us and watch this. And uh, I'm excited to talk about it because like you said, I, I have not played the game. I have watched um, a decent amount of gameplay videos. Gameplay videos or compilations of the, the glitches. <laughs> We're around when it first launched. A, co a combination of both. <laughs> so one of my favorite streamers was streaming it for a, for a while um, on Twitch. So I was trying to catch him playing it whenever I could. Um, but then also just wanting to watch all of the shitty glitches from the launch. It was uh, pretty wild that that same streamer experienced quite a number of glitches himself. So going into it, like I'm decently familiar with like 
high level lore around cyberpunk like the company or the the, the corporation arasaka like i i knew that name going into it um the idea behind like the cyberpunk and um implants and, and enhancements and things like that but i don't have like an intimate understanding of the world so there were things that were very new to me in this anime um I don't think I really knew anything about Cyberpunk besides the fact that Keanu Reeves <laughs> was in the game. Uh, I knew it took place in a like a futuristic city and and had all of those I guess cybernetic elements to it. Um, but I will say one thing that a majority of our listeners might not know unless they were really in tune with the series is that Cyberpunk was originally a tabletop role-playing game with influences from Blade Runner. I did not know that. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> when you told me that, I'm like, really? <laughs> yeah, so I guess it's a it's a, it's a a franchise. Um, I mean, it's obviously been popularized by the video game by CD Projekt Red, but yeah, it originally started off as a, as a board game. Um, and as I know, we, I just mentioned Blade Runner, but the video game also took influences from Ghost in the Shell. And so there, there's your anime tie-in there. And that kind of fits in well with the aesthetic of this series or this original net animation, I think it's called. Not an OVA, since it, it's only premiered on Netflix. And of course, I, I don't know if this is a stupid statement, but in many ways, this does feel like an anime where you have these... So cyberpunks and edge runners, they the, the, those terms can be used interchangeably, right? I thought edge edge runners was like their group's name, like they're cyberpunks, <laughs> but their particular mm. group is called edge runners. But uh, okay. I that I don't know. Okay, I was reading one thing from like the 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 research I was doing, and then I thought I heard a different another thing. I could be confirmed wrong. Confirmed it in the show. If any of our listeners can confirm that, please reach out. Let us know. Yeah, like with that group of cyberpunks or edge runners, it gave off a lot of uh, like cowboy bebop vibes because it almost felt like they were sort of like bounty hunters. But I think the the more accurate term for them would be like mercenaries or guns for hire. And even just boiling down to again the aesthetic of the show. This this anime is done by Studio Trigger, so a lot of like the visuals and the art styles, like I was getting mad vibes of, what is it, Promare, which we reviewed uh, pretty recently, uh, and, <laughs> and maybe this is a controversial statement, but I think this show has a story from Trigger that you can actually follow, <laughs> and it's just not all like like fluff. Yeah, I completely agree with all of that. So in terms of aesthetic, I, I would say straight up gorgeous animation, super clean and intense action scenes, all of that to be expected from Studio Trigger, but not to be discounted just because Studio Trigger always does this, right? Like it should still be praised every single time. And I think like that blended with like the environments and the color palettes and the fucking amazing music. Like the music was such a vibe the whole way through. Everything about this anime just like oozes cool. Like it's cool, it's edgy, no pun intended, I guess, with edge runners. Um, it's just such a fucking vibe the whole time. I loved, like visually, 
and I just loved watching every second of the show. I think the music uh, was taken from, most of the songs were taken from the video game soundtrack, so they incorporated it uh, within the show. And I think there was like an actual, yeah, there was a composer for the show itself, Akira uh, Yamaoka, but yeah, I, I already found a Spotify playlist that includes the songs that were featured on the show and yeah, majority were from the video game. Um, what was the other thing I wanted to mention? Well, you also mentioned the cohesive story. So yeah, I'll comment on that mm -hmm. as well because I, I agree. I think Studio Trigger, like from what I've watched and what I've experienced, which is not the whole catalog of things that they've created, um, but most of the time, they at least back in the day, they had like a pretty cohesive, like clear story, um, clear progression, clear end goal. Um, I feel like the last couple of things that we've watched from Studio Trigger that are more recent had less of a clear story. Um, it, it's almost like they were taking, they were giving more focus to the visuals and action sequences that they're really well known for in lieu of having a clear story. Um, Promare was one of them. I, I still really enjoyed Promare, but part of me was like, at the end of it, I'm, I'm like, what was the story again? Like, what, what were we trying to achieve? Um, but I would say with Cyberpunk Edge Runners, they're back to having that, that great blend of, again, the, the amazing action sequences along with the cohesive story. Now, I do have comments about like the story needing maybe a bit more time to be flushed out. I'll share those towards the end. Um, but either way, I think it was a really compelling story overall. Yeah, I think another example of a recent trigger work where the story was kind of uh, not tossed aside, but focused on less in favor of like the visual spectacle uh, is Star Wars Visions, which I reviewed last year as a solo re review. Um, they did one of the shorts called The Twins, which was cool and all, but it didn't, it felt like too over-exaggerated to, to be like a Star Wars story. But like you said, the story in Cyberpunk Edge Runners, there's a very human aspect to it, despite all of the cybernetics and the technology uh, that are featured in the show that are meant to be like the homages to the video game or like the, the, the fan service of the video game, that it makes the story more emotionally resonant. Um, and another side thing with it is I thought it was with some episodes it was interesting how they almost play out as if they're video game missions did you catch that sort of vibe too kinda i mean i love like the hud that they had every time someone had a phone call i think it was the same type of hud that showed up mm. during the video game i but could they, be wrong they also <laughs> like a like had an av abbreviated sort of speech with those huds did you notice that as well yeah like, i hated it I, I don't know i don't know if they did that in the video game but i like i was reading it because sometimes it would go from the hud um showing like the text between the two callers to subtitles at the bottom if it panned to like a new screen or a new a new area but the conversation was still ongoing and the subtitles would have very clear normal um translations but then the hud would be like this really abbreviated shit, right? Like really um, like chill speech or uh, I don't know the word I'm looking for. What, what it reminded me of is the, you know, the novel by George Orwell, 1984, 
Kinda. Like the, I think most of us had to read it as a prereq or like a requirement in our high school literature classes. They had a language. I think it's called Newspeak, where it's abbreviated words, but like I think in Cyberpunk days, a lot of it felt like they were repeating certain words, but like shortening their conversations to just get the gist of what they're trying to say. Yeah, and I had a hard time following it sometimes. I think it, I don't know if it was supposed to be mimicking glitches, like when the words were repetitive. Um, or what was going on because I'm listening not that I'm like fluent in Japanese but I'm listening to like them talk and then reading at the same time and I feel like their talking was more cohesive than what was on screen I mean I got the gist of it it is what it is it was very stylized maybe that's the word I was looking for mm. um, but I was like okay just give me normal I, I wish that they would still have subtitles at the bottom so I could just read that shit also the colors sometimes uh, the colors of the text overlaid on top of the colors in the environment. I was like, I cannot read that. Like, I could yeah. read it, but with some, like, with some straining of my eyes. I can't imagine someone who actually has, like, eyesight issues trying to read that. That's probably going to be really difficult for them. Or sometimes they would, like, they would play the message out, but then cut to another shot where you didn't even have a chance to read the the full message because yeah. it went, <laughs> went to the next shot so quickly. Um but I mean, yeah, like those conversations, they weren't, weren't too many, uh, but sometimes it was, like you said, it was hard to read one thing and then try to decipher it, uh, even though we were watching subs, but I could tell like the, the actors were, were speaking in full sentences compared to the abbreviated messages that were on this HUD. I want to talk a little bit about the violence and gore in this anime. I really appreciated it. Not because like it made it super edgy and cool and wild and all of that, like almost Mad Max style, but because it felt like it served more of a purpose than just flashy animation and wild action sequences. The gore makes you realize how fragile and soft organic human flesh is. Like how mm. easily these heads blow up or how easily these limbs rip off. It's like cutting through butter with a hot knife it's so squishy and weak not at all like the durable you know metal upgrades that everyone's getting all of their implants and whatnot i think it's um it's almost telling its own story about how how people like david or like maine become less and less human because they have less and less organic matter um and they see flesh as being weak so i think at one point main even tells um or somebody tells david like you need to get hand implants because your little you know weak human fists are going to get destroyed which is true but it's like the flesh that they have is the one thing that's keeping them human the only part of them that they can mm -hmm. keep human i think is like their brain and yeah like because i'm thinking about like adam smasher right like i assume his only organic piece left is probably his brain um, but is that what keeps him human? Because otherwise he would just be a fucking robot. Yeah, you're right about like, again, it's, it's gratuitous violence and also it's Netflix and, you know, they, they want to put, put whatever like mature NC-17 content they can on their platform. Wait, but let me be clear. I never thought that the violence in Gore was over the top though. Even mm -hmm. some of the more like insane scenes where like they were drawing very detailed heads blown up and stuff or arms being ripped off. Like it never felt like over the top. Like they were just trying to be, you know, uh, 
like they were trying to be in your face about it it felt like it served a purpose no yeah because like you're saying i think it serves the story especially with pushing the whole thing of cyber psychosis uh and how like david is is more and more prone to that as he becomes less of a human and more of this like sort of cyborg figure i guess almost like um raiden from metal gear solid uh but yeah i think that that goes back to the core of the story being something like like a like i said before like the human element of of what keeps us whole rather than you know trying to gain all of these abilities or I, I think the metaphor is like with these cybernetic implants, it's almost like real world, like using hard drugs or like, <laughs> like taking in massive amounts of alcohol. Meth is one hell of a drug. <laughs> yeah. Or like trying to keep sane despite you having to go through all of these implants, uh, which can turn you into something like inhuman and uh, on another level that's that's threatening and i think yeah that's that's exemplified a lot with and it's not like gross gore and violence but it is still very brutal enough where it reminds you of okay what is the human element of these characters and of this show it's it's like whenever they have to go up against max tack right is that how you say it max tack the ones that... Um, the guys who go after the cyber psychos? Yeah. Like you you watch, or even really any of like the, the law enforcement groups, um, they get decimated at times by people like Maine or by like David or whatever because they are mostly organic individuals. Um, but like at the end of the day, they're the ones keeping the peace and keeping, I guess like things in check for those who are becoming less and less human and going crazy. Um, so yeah, that's why like when they get fucking destroyed and their heads get ripped off and their, their guts get like blown out. It's just, it's a really cool thing to think about when you're, when you're watching this less human individual destroy these more human individuals because they're quote unquote weak. I don't know. It's just like a really cool concept. Like that's one of the things that, that didn't really, um, that made me want to watch very intently at every single fight scene. We also finally understand the memes around Rebecca. People fucking oh. love Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> People were even saying that like she's best girl for the season and better than Anya, even though Anya topped the charts like immediately with the first episode of Spy Family mm-hmm. Part 2. Um, and I was like, why does everyone like Rebecca? And some people were even joking that Rebecca should have been with the main character in the end because she's best girl. So now I finally get it. Um, We'll talk more about Rebecca as we get to the later episodes of Cyberpunk. But I was just like, what's so great about her? I don't understand. Yeah, I'll admit at first I was just a little bit annoyed (laughs) with her character. Um, But I I think because I realized she's the most dere-dere type out of all the characters on this show, like representative of those like anime personality tropes but yeah, towards the end i just you know i love that she just became this sort of wild card in the midst of everything going on she was a real one she was like one of the only competent individuals towards the end mm-hmm. of the show the only one who made actual good decisions <laughs> i guess she in a way she's kind of like ed from cowboy bebop where she's in the group but she's still 
like off doing her own thing. Yes, but much <laughs> smarter than Ed. Well, I guess not. Ed's really smart in terms of like hacking and all that. I feel like Rebecca is it's like more competent. like street savvy. Yeah, she's competent in so many things. Um, but yeah, I think towards the end, she was like the only one making rational decisions and that's at least why i really enjoyed her character by the end of the show but we'll talk more about her when we get there should we jump into the synopsis well let's go over the opnad first all right i keep forgetting we switched that up (laughs) yeah we do that before our synopses just to get a taste of the music and the visuals uh so op we have this fire by franz ferdinand as the song or I think it's stylized as this fire. It has multiple Fs in the Oh, <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> this is the first time I've heard a Franz Ferdinand so- uh, song in a while. Uh, what was that one song they use? Uh, Take Me Out. They use on like PSP commercials back in the day. Or in, in Guitar Hero, I think that was one of their songs too. Uh, but anyways, yeah, Franz Ferdinand does the OP for Cyberpunk Edgerunners. Uh, visuals wise it's pretty simple it's like just title cards and, and opening credits you have a lot of these flashes of characters and environments that are contained within a, a silhouette of david um so very interesting visual choice there uh lyrics wise I, I, it feels like it's kind of a it's kind of reading into davy's david's psyche um it's saying eyes burning away through me eyes destroying so sweetly now there's a fire in me a fire that burns so kind of seeing that in the beginning of the show like david wanting something more out of life um seeing that fire burn within him but as we see that that fire turns into all sorts of fires that break out within night city and within this story yeah i with the op i love the song um, I love all of the music, but I, I really do enjoy the song. The visuals are super stylized and just match the show and the aesthetic of cyberpunk across the the anime and the video game perfectly. I also really love the use of yellow. I don't know. I feel like yellow's not a go-to color for most aesthetic in anime, um, but yellow for cyberpunk just fucking works. I don't even really like mm-hmm. yellow. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it. Just <laughs> fucking works. Like it just looks so cool. <laughs> yeah, yellow's the same color used for the the video game cover and and the like arts for that. And David's jacket. Like mm-hmm. it just I don't know, for for what I was watching in that OP, I'm like this just looks really good. And I love um it's it's a small thing, but towards the end of the OP, I think the character model for David starts to fall apart into pieces. And I'm like, oh. how how clever, right? Like with him getting more implants as the show goes on, him becoming more piecemeal, becoming less human. Um, I keep wanting to th- I keep wanting to reference Detroit become human because I keep saying that that phrase becoming human or becoming mm. less human. Uh, but anyways, yeah, OP, love it. I think it was perfect. Yes, it's probably one of the few non-Japanese OPs that have made it onto my anime Spotify playlist in quite some time, as well as the ED for this show, which the song is Let You Down by David Podsiadwo, if my Polish pronunciation is correct. Uh, the I think the first episode for Edge Runners, it was just like a... Um, black screen with plain credits but all the subsequent episodes are shots of lucy 
and all of these cyberpunk alleys and vistas. So I think with the ED, it's more focused on Lucy, whereas the OP was more focused on David, which makes sense because they're kind of the central characters of this show. Lyrics-wise, the song, I feel, is almost uh, synonymous with David's promise to Lucy about escaping their hectic lives within Night City and you know her her aspirations of wanting to go to the moon um, lyrics like they will finally feel the flames flames that run down through my veins i will make the city burn we're not planning to return uh and it's it's almost like the, the lyrics are a spoiler in a sense for the ending of this show because you have uh lines like hold on to your wishes if you can't hold on to me well what do we learn at the end of this show David unfortunately succumbs to his wounds from Adam Smasher, but Lucy goes on to travel to the moon. What? He died? It, right? I'm <laughs> yeah, I, I'm joking. <laughs> or did he actually come back with her at the moon at that, that last scene? I'd like to think, I wish. That's my headcanon, but no, he died. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm absolutely obsessed with this song. I would say of all of the songs from Cyberpunk Edge Runners, this ending song is my absolute favorite. Um, not only did you put it on your Spotify playlist, I put it on my EDM playlist because I just I need to hear it all the time. Um, similar to the OP, the visuals are just so cool. Perfect color palettes, um, perfect for Lucy. Like the OP is perfect for David and the ED is perfect for Lucy. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. Um, everything about it was just cool. I don't know what else to say. I just think both of those things came together so well and they were such a good fit for the show. All right, so with our OP and ED discussion out of the way, it's time to wake the fuck up, Samurai. We have a city to burn as we brain dance right into our synopsis and discussion for Cyberpunk Edge Runners, the 2022 Polish-Japanese cyberpunk web anime series based on the video game Cyberpunk. Wait, Polish-Japanese? I think because, because CD Projekt Red is the polish game developer that worked on cyberpunk oh i was like what (laughs) (laughs) did i miss something okay Uh, yeah i I pulled these from wikipedia so that's what it says and you know wikipedia is the truth but yeah polish japanese cyberpunk web anime series based on the video game cyberpunk 2077 by cd project red animated by studio trigger and released by netflix cyberpunk edge runners serves as a prequel set one year before the events of the main game following a street rat named David Martinez as he navigates through the trials and tribulations of becoming a black market gun-for-hire edge runner, known colloquially as a cyberpunk. Fun fact is that the episode titles are references to song titles, so I'll also give that piece of trivia with each episode title. So starting with episode one, Let You Down. This is in reference to the ED, Let You Down by David Podsiadwo. David Martinez is a cyber flunk stuck in a cyber funk after he and his mother are caught in a drive-by shooting, leaving the latter cyber junked. David discovers that his mother had a contraband Sandavistan device in her possession, so he pays a visit to his certified ripper doc to install the device onto his body and make him a cyber hunk. So I loved David's mom. What was her name? Carla, Carla, Gloria, Gloria. Who are they, Aaron's mom. Oh. <laughs> Oops. Yeah, Gloria, Gloria Martinez. <laughs> okay, yeah, Gloria. Um, she was so genuine, and 
I think one of my favorite scenes in the entire show is when she picks up David after he gets in trouble at school and they're driving down the highway and she's frustrated with him. Um, she's trying to get him to be motivated about being a, a good student and, and having a good future. And he's, you know, brushing it off as many teenagers do. But I think what's different here versus a lot of other scenes that play out in the exact same way is that Gloria starts crying and, and again, a very genuine way. Most of the time in these types of scenes, you see like the parent getting angry at their kid and like the two of them fighting and they're both frustrated with each other. Here it was like Gloria was still smiling and, and starting to tear up saying like, well, what am I doing all of this for? I'm working so hard to give you something that I never had. Um, and you have such potential because he's a straight A student as we learn a little bit later. So... I, I just thought the way that scene was done hit so hard and made her death 10 times harder to swallow. But on the flip side, I almost wish that David was a little more distraught about his mom dying. He seemed overwhelmed by everything that was happening, like his apartment getting closed down and um, the medical bills and all of that stuff, but just really lacked an emotional response to his mom passing away. Like, I get it in his life and where he's at in society, like he gets shit on every single day. But still, I just, I, I think Gloria is incredibly important to David. He ha he remembers her in critical moments throughout the show. Um, he keeps her urn in that picture with him, you know, like in his home, even with the time skip. But I don't know if he ever once cried for his mom the entire time. He did cry for Maine, though, which is kind of like, okay. <laughs> oh, that's right. I was going to ask, like, had we seen David cry at any point during the show? And I was going to say, like, maybe he doesn't process his emotions that way. But I think also just everything that was happening to him after that accident was almost all like thrown in, thrown to him at once uh you know with with him obviously losing his mother getting those bills uh the, the bills to also pay for her her cremation and and all that stuff um so it's almost like he didn't have any time to really sit down and process the emotions of his his mother dying um, just going back to that whole thing with Gloria, it, it kind of resonated with me because Gloria it reminded me of you know, I, me coming from like immigrant parents who came over to the States uh, from the Philippines. It's just how much work that they put into to help me and, and my sibling uh, get by here with our lives here in America. Um, so there's a that very, again, human element of this show that I'm, I'm sure most uh, most viewers can connect with, um, even if they don't have immigrant parents, but just have those hardworking parents who do their best to make ends meet. But then you have like David, who starting from this first episode, he's kind of like your typical shonen or anime rebellious protagonist that's out to prove something to the world. So in that sense, it it kind of felt like David felt. Uh, a little bit too derivative of other protagonists that we've seen. Not to say that he's not an interesting character. I think his his kind of fall from from human grace is what makes the story interesting. Uh, but yeah, from this this first episode, I was like, oh, is, are we just gonna see again like like another another typical anime plot? Uh, which is interesting. With the first scene that we see is with the that cyber psycho. It's almost like watching 
uh, an homage to Terminator. I thought that whole scene was kind of out of place uh, and just kind of throwing us into the hectic world of Night City and of the world of cyberpunk. But now I realize it, it plays in with David's story. So n- nice way to you know shock the viewers with this cyber psycho going crazy like on a, on a GTA rampage. Um, but as out of place as it seemed back then, it almost comes full circle seeing where David's story goes. Oh, and then <laughs> this is random getting like Jojo vibes from David's classmate um, when they were having a fight at the school and he's like, Oh yeah. Like his flurry of punches is like, is this, is this the Jojo reference for the series in episode two, like a boy which takes its title from the song Like a Boy by Sierra. With his new cybernetic upgrade, David takes his angsty frustrations out on a classmate with ties to the Arasaka corporate overlords, whose executive father keeps a watchful eye on the cyber flunk. David later befriends another teenage rebel named Lucy with lofty illusions of lunar living. When she invites David to a VR date on the moon, he subsequently learns that it's a trap to sell his cyber soul to some cyber clunks. Right off the bat, I couldn't tell if Lucy was trustworthy or not. She was kind of giving me like vibes like she would be underhanded, but vibes that she could be a really important person in David's life. I think both ended up coming true um, as we see in like the next couple of episodes. But overall, I did like her character a lot. So she was a little a little uh, mistrusting at first, but she grew on me, I'd say. I believe Lucy is voiced by Aoi Yuki, who's a prominent uh, Japanese VA. I'm trying to see what she's done recently. That Isn't we've... she Gabby? No, that's, uh, I think it was Ayane Sakura who did Gabby. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to look at their uh, list right now. She's Mami-chan from Rent-A-Girlfriend. Oh, that's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, she's also a uh, froppy from My Hero. <laughs> and I think she also did the Japanese voice for um, Gwen Stacy in the Spider-Verse film. Yeah, that's uh, so a lot of prominent roles. Um, and, you know, since we're talking about VAs, Ripper Doc is voiced by my boy, Kenjiro Suda, even though he sounds a little more maniacal with this character in the show. I'm trying to look up who did David, who who voiced David. Some guy named Ken with two N's. (laughs) (laughs) Is is he like a music artist? I I don't know. Relatively new VA? Let's see. Ken. No, he's been around. He's done other voices. He did Forecast and Super Crooks. Okay. Well, he was in Platinum End as one of the angels. Well, anyways... Yeah, solid VA cast for this show. Oh, another thing with like David feeling like a, your typical anime protagonist is that this episode mentions, you know, he gets the Sandivistan or the Sandy device implanted and he, he, he gets a nosebleed and faints, which I think is a, a typical symptom of having your body deal with the magnitude of this device. But it says that, I think the the doc mentions that he's able to withstand these symptoms relatively well. And it it reminds me of 
like with anime characters having that special quirk or trait about them that makes them the sort of chosen one, right? But I, I like that, again, when we see how David's story plays out, that he isn't just this anomaly in the cyberpunk world who just happens to withstand the power of of these devices without turning into a cyber cycle. He actually goes into that fall from grace, but he does it in a way where it's it's still redeemable for him in the end. Yeah, it's going to come back to haunt David throughout. I think it slowly starts to haunt him throughout this show um, the moment he learns that he can withstand the Sandivistan in a way that nobody else can. Does it make him invincible? No, but it just prolongs the inevitable. In episode three, Smooth Criminal, which takes its title from the song Smooth Criminal by none other than Michael Jackson, the leader of the gang, Maine, takes David in as a potential member after learning of his ties to his mother, Gloria. He and Lucy nearly botch his first mission to steal data from an Arasaka Uber driver at the request of Faraday the Fishy Fixer, but nonetheless, David is inducted to the gang and is promoted from cyber flunk to cyber punk. I was not expecting anything that happened in the first part of this episode. So in the previous episode, you kind of get a sense like, oh shit, Lucy betrayed him. And I mean, kind of she did. She was out to find him from the beginning, but just didn't make it known. And then you think like, oh shit, now he's in like a really bad group. They're going to kill him because he, he installed the Sandivisan when it wasn't his. Um, how's he going to get out of this? But then it does a 180 and apparently the group knew Gloria pretty well, liked her a lot. Um, and Maine is actually a pretty decent guy and is like, well, you know, that was intended intended for me, but I'll let you have it because you're, you're Gloria's kid. I did not expect any of that to happen. I didn't know who this group was going to be. I thought like somebody else would eventually save him or maybe like Lucy would turn again and like save him from this group that she originally brought him to. But yeah, they're they're the crew. Like they're the main crew that he ends up with for the rest of the show. Let me see. It's Maine, Kiwi, Dorio, and Pilar, uh, who are part of that original crew. Pilar's the guy with the long he's got he's like the lanky Kong of the yeah, group, right? He's I think he's <laughs> Becca's brother. I don't know if they're like related by blood or if they just call each other siblings. Yeah, she calls uh, him Aniki, which is more of like not a like an actual brother, but like a big brother figure. Okay. Uh, but yeah, like this crew has a couple changes. Oh, no. The only other addition would be Falco um, towards the later half of the series. Uh, yeah, it, it's hard because like we didn't really spend enough time with these characters to really have a connection to them. I think the one that everyone connects to the most is obviously Becca. And everyone probably hates the shit out of Kiwi's guts after what she does later. Um but yeah, it's it's still a solid crew where each are still like distinguishable enough. Um, and even if they get limited screen time with the 10 episode run, uh, you, you still kind of feel for certain character, uh, certain of the crew's demises when it gets to those moments. In episode four, Lucky You, which takes its title from the song Lucky You by Eminem, we are treated to a lengthy training montage as David gets settled into his new cyberpunk role and concurrently unsettled with his newfound feelings for Lucy. 
Things take quite a turn when one of the crew is shockingly shot down by a homeless cyberpsycho, but the bad juju is quickly eschewed away as David engages in a passionate makeout session with Lucy. Quite the slam cyber dunk. So in the beginning of the episode, we see David learning and growing as a cyberpunk, like training himself, taking on more jobs, coming to terms with using a gun, especially when it means saving Lucy's life. Like he really struggled with this idea of having to kill other people. And I think it's because of like who his mom was, um, what her job was, what she wanted for him and worked so hard to get him in life, like to get him basically the opposite of where he's at. She wanted him to have something it wouldn't what she perceived as like better you know with more opportunity for mm-hmm. him down the road so of course he keeps thinking about his mom every time he looks at the gun i really liked actually let me take a step back the way that this episode was structured um because you have david and maine talking at the table outside or whatever but then you have and that that's like a, a single point in time but then around that you have all of these like jumps in time or like look backs or look forwards um, to see like what David's been doing, where he's trying to go, blah, blah, blah. But the constant is that that conversation between David and Maine. And again, it's David looking at the gun that Maine is offering him saying at some point you might need to use this to protect yourself in this line of work. And I think what they're trying to portray here is that um, David is at this critical moment. Like he needs to decide if he's going to commit to this lifestyle Um, and potentially take somebody else's life when needed um, or if he's going to turn back now. But we see him doing all these things, progressing himself to this point where he needs to just either commit or get out. And I think it comes to a head when we see, like we were just introduced to Pilar uh, an episode ago and then that cyber psycho um, homeless person shoots him dead. And then the whole crew is in a scramble to, to defend against him. But then I think it's David who shoots that suspect point blank and without any hesitation, but only when the homeless person goes after Lucy. Uh, and so I think that's another thing that this episode is establishing is that David is having the, these growing connections, like these growing feelings for Lucy, and they are really getting to know each other um, to the point where Lucy, I think, has that conversation with David on the rooftop towards the end of the episode. Um, even though, like, she she still wants to get out of this lifestyle and and go to the moon. At the same time, with her growing feelings towards David, she wants to ensure that he doesn't die and also r- remains in a safe place. I mean, we all knew someone was going to die because when they when they get together in this episode they keep talking about how they don't want each other to die. And I'm like, well, then someone's <laughs> going to die. You guys are laying it on really thick, but mm-hmm. that's fine. I think I, I think in some cases like this, the foreshadowing isn't necessarily a bad thing or doesn't take away from the story. Um, it just is almost like, okay, we know the the destination. What's the journey we're about to go on? Like, how do we get to that point when there are so many fail-safes in place, right? Like, David could have just, and we'll talk more about this, but David could have just stopped getting implants. He could have learned from Maine's mistake. Um, He could have not become a cyberpunk in the first place, right? Like there were so many ways he could have avoided his demise in the end um, that it still made the journey just as interesting. Would you call their relationship like a, like Stockholm syndrome since it was Lucy who kind of kidnapped David? (laughs) 
Um, I didn't think so because David could have left at any time. Mm. Like Maine, Maine was pretty chill about that stuff. Um, and there was a point too, I think, in that same conversation between Maine and David, where Maine, like, he's alluding to the fact that like David clearly has feelings for Lucy, and I think Maine says something along the lines of like, make sure you keep her safe, or make sure you treat her well. Mm. Um, I think Maine's just genuinely a good guy and a good leader, and maybe he doesn't know the details of Lucy's past, but he can see that she's been she's been through some shit, right? Um, and he does care about his crew. So, yeah, I just thought it was nice. And I know people, again, with the memes and everything, like some people think Rebecca's the best girl and she should have been with David. And like, yeah, they would have been cute, I guess, even though I got more of like brother-sister vibes from them. Um, but I really did like David and Lucy. I was very invested in that relationship. Yeah, Lucy, after Gloria, is the one thing that keeps David human. <laughs> so, like, there, there's that element to her character. You know, like I said, Becca's just a wild, a fucking wild card. So, I, you know, I think if they were to have a relationship, it would just be like guns blazing all the time. But it would be so fun to watch. <laughs> In episode five, All Eyes on Me, taken from the song All Eyes on Me by Tupac, these cyberpunks make moves on locating Tanaka Flaka from Arasaka by exploiting his connection to a brain dance snuff film director, J.K., However, the director forces David to live out violent BDs to summon his cyberpsychosis until Lucy and the gang save him and use JK as bait to lure out Tanaka Flaka from Arasaka. The first part of this episode with Maine teasing David about losing his virginity was just so good because you do also notice right away that David is a little less like negative in his conversation with Maine and Maine's like, wait a minute. What happened here? I just thought it was great because I don't think David has like a father figure and Maine, I think, sometimes fills that um, fills that position for him. So this is one of those moments where I was like, oh, I really like Maine and David's relationship. So they did it. Did I mean, they? yeah, <laughs> we don't see them actually doing it, but we, we see them naked a lot. Dude, they're nude yeah, like all the time say. in their house. <laughs> After the time skip, mm -hmm. they're fucking, it's like a nudist colony in their house. And there are like a lot of other moments on the show where it's, you know, it's just in your face boobs or I think the one brain dance that the Ripper doc is going through, it's him having like simulated sex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have all of that. Maybe everyone, it, uh, another one of the memes I think that came out of cyberpunk was that everyone was so excited about female nipples in anime. Oh I'm like, God. okay, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, I guess it makes makes uh, David and Lucy's supposed intimate moment that much more special because we don't need to see it i know i kind of so not that like i am off put too much by like sex scenes but i think the the way they approach david and lucy's relationship is really nice like i i um, i'm glad they didn't show david losing his virginity because it, it's one of those things where we didn't need to see it um it's just like a, a part of their relationship growth i don't know how to describe it but yeah i am glad that they didn't show it because i feel like maybe that would have been too in your face and like we shared before, we get even more foreshadowing an episode later about David, David's inevitable fate when the film director dude 
warns David. JK. <laughs> we had a conversation about this. I know. We, we, did, we just paused our recording so I could ask who BD was or who JK was because I couldn't remember and I still can't remember. So, I'm bad B- with names, okay? No. JK is the film director. Uh-huh. BD is the abbreviation for uh, Brain Dance, which are the sessions that he like directs basically like the vr session okay well in my notes i put bd warns david and <laughs> clearly i was confused again <laughs> any cyberpunk players they, they can clear up the lore for us but yeah so jk is the one that warns david okay the film director dude <laughs> warns david that he'll eventually succumb to the implant and become a cyber psycho just like the rest because this guy has seen that shit happen a million times over but david is insistent that he's different and this implant he's built different yeah. <laughs> and this implant feels right for him like david is naive like one of the things that is frustrating about his character i like his character overall but one of the things that's frustrating about his character through the whole show is just how naive he is and how he doesn't learn from others mistakes or even his own mistakes like again he could have just looked at what happened to Maine and not gone down that path. But instead, he literally follows right behind Maine and gets all these fucking implants. The time skip happens. He's beefed up. Like, he gets warned a million times that eventually he's going to succumb to cyber psychosis. And he keeps saying, nah, bro, I'm special. Yeah, it, it's sort of like the again, the antithesis of the, the quote-unquote special anime protagonist. Like, the more you think that you're... Like the chosen one in this situation, like the the more likely you'll have this this tragic downfall, which is exactly what happened to the chosen one in Star Wars. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but moving on to episode six, Girl on Fire, which takes its title from the song Girl on Fire by Alicia Keys. Cyberpunk leader Maine is soon to have a minor role as he begins succumbing to his own bouts of cyberpsychosis which jeopardizes the mission to retrieve data from the brain of Tanaka Flaka from Arasaka. With Lucy stepping in as a last-minute net-running replacement, David becomes conflicted after Tanaka reveals his semi-philanthropic nature, but it simply buys time for the tycoon to say ta-ta as he interrupts the data transmission and leaves the gang with a 5-star wanted level. Main goes berserk but relents after inadvertently causing the death of teammate Dorio, and decides to become an hero so his cyberpunks can get out of this cyber funk. Take a shot for how many times Maine or David's name is said in this episode. Did you notice that? It's either Maine or David. I know, especially with Dorio and Lucy calling out to them the whole time. (laughs) Holy shit. (laughs) But I would say this was a fantastic episode. Just so good. It felt a little bit different from the rest because Maine was the focus. Um, It was just action-packed from beginning to end. But wow, I really enjoyed watching it. I I really loved seeing cyberpsychosis slowly take over Maine and seeing it happen from different points of view. So you have Maine's like first person experience where he's seeing these illusions. He has these lapses in memory. He doesn't realize he's hurting his friends. Um, But then you see it from everyone else's point of view, especially Dorio, where she's like losing the one that she loves and trying to support him, but, but also trying to talk some sense into him, but he's just not listening. I will say though, 
Um, I felt like the whole cyber psychosis piece of things came out of nowhere. I think we all could have assumed that Maine was going to reach this point, but I didn't feel like there were any moments of immediate foreshadowing before this episode started. Like, unless I missed something, I didn't catch any earlier hints that he was succumbing to it. Um, other than again, like just based off of pure assumption. No, I felt the same thing. Like I was kind of caught off guard when this episode just started focusing on Maine and him trying to deal with cyberpsychosis. Because, yeah, I don't recall any other episode where he really showcases his struggle with it. I mean, we, we've seen it with David. First instance is him getting that nosebleed and fainting. But, yeah, it kind of just dropped it on our laps here, uh, which, you know, it, if it, this had, like, a proper 13-episode run... Uh, maybe we could have seen more of main story fleshed out rather than it being dumped here, which, you know, that's a huge red flag when you see a character's backstory come up all of a sudden. Like, you know they're about to meet their demise either in this episode or in the coming episodes. But I guess the, the one thing that that's nice about this episode that I didn't realize before is you have the, the, the quiet shots of main in his younger years, just running in the desert, I think, outside of Night City. And he was all fleshy human. Yeah. Uh, again, and small. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't realize this at the time, but that just really plays into these characters having been so far devolved from who they truly were in the past that it's almost like with them implanting all of these new cybernetic devices, it's the point of no return. And it's changed them as a character. And that's what Maine comes to. Like, he comes to that realization at the end of this episode, which to your points earlier, it's like, it's surprising that David doesn't learn from this. But instead, he takes, he just takes Maine's arm cannons and has those implanted uh, on his own body. Which is nice, I guess, because Maine, um, like when they were talking in a previous episode about, like, upgrades and whatnot... Um, David was saying he wants Maine's hands, but Maine's like, oh, they're too big for you. You need to grow into them. But if I die, you can have them. And that's exactly what happened. But it also shows the close relationship that Maine and David had. And again, like here we see David crying for Maine, you know, in those final moments, but he never cried for his mom. Not to say that he, that Maine doesn't deserve those tears. Sounds like Tanjiro in a certain character <laughs> in Demon Slayer. It's just so like weird to me that, you know, your mom was there for you and you didn't cry for her. But again, like maybe it was just the place and time because they were in an incredibly stressful situation. I think my favorite shot, so like the animation was crazy. The action scenes were phenomenal. The gore, everything was was perfect in this episode and, and seeing um, Maine's descent into madness. But the moment that really got me was that still moment where it was just zoomed in on uh, David's face and he had like tons of sweat beads on his face and nothing, no movement. All you hear is Max Tack in the background, slowly landing, slowly getting closer. Like as they're approaching, Dave is just waiting to unload his gun. But then finally, Maine says, you need to leave. You're not going to survive this. I I'll handle it. That was so cool because it almost forced you to be in David's position where you know this threat is coming. You know you're probably not going to survive, but you're going to try your hardest to defend your bro. Mm. 
Yeah, it was eerie. And then your bro's like, no, you got to go on. Go, man. Me. Just get out of here. <laughs> or what does he say? Keep running. <laughs> In episode seven, Stronger, which takes its title from the song Stronger by Kanye West. Not by Britney Spears. There's... I was thinking that too. <laughs> is there a, a song called Stronger by her? I think there is. Yeah, right? Stronger Than Yesterday. I like to think <laughs> it's that one. That wouldn't fit with the cyberpunk thing. Like, Stronger by Kanye West is that Daft Punk collaboration. Yeah, but, like, Stronger by Britney Spears, you know, it fits. I guess. <laughs> Either way, this is supposed to comment on, you know, David becoming stronger from the experience in the previous episode. So, after a considerable time skip, David becomes the new leader of the cyberpunks with quite an upgrade to his cybernetic arsenal, though Lucy takes a leave of absence after the traumatic events of the previous episode. Faraday the Fishy Fixer offers David a big cyber heist mission to further tap into the mind of Tanaka Flaka from Arasaka, whom we learn has unfortunate ties to Lucy's past as one of his cybernetic child soldiers. Lucy, however, fears more for David's health and safety than her own, and after being alerted of a sneakster sticking their snout into her system, violently puts an end to the cyber skunk. One thing I wanted to mention that we forgot to before is with Faraday, the fixer. Uh, his English VA is Giancarlo Esposito. Um, I think most people know him from Breaking Bad. He's also a villain in The Mandalorian. And I think one of the main villains for the new Far Cry video game. The Japanese VA, however, is Kazuhiko Inoue, who we should know as the voice of Cars from part two of JoJo. Oh, shit. Really? Nice. Mm-hmm. So we have this time skip in episode seven. David um, is now beef the fuck up. He got swole. Um, he's got Maine's hands, as they promised in the past. Um, he now runs the crew. Like, there's some things that have changed here, right? Uh, I... I think, though, that even with David taking on all of these upgrades to his life, becoming the leader of the crew, I don't think he's changed much. I think he acts more mature, but I think he's still very much the same character we've known up until this point. Mm, like, yeah. he, he sounds more mature. He looks much more mature. Um, he's taking Maine's place, continuing his legacy. But I just feel like he's still the naive kid that he was in the beginning because i think mm. in this episode the doc tells him that he needs to slow down on his upgrades but david says the tech doesn't seem to impact him at all i'm special like here here he is making the same mistakes again so while on the outside he seems different i think on the inside he's the same minus the cyber psychosis yeah the, the cyber the cyborg parts can only take you so far um but I, I think the, the, more of the changes, you know, with him having to deal more with the cyberpsychosis. And I don't know if it's this episode or the next episode where he blows up about needing more suppressants. Again, I feel like all of this is just like a, a metaphor for like like taking hard drugs or, or like roiding up or something. We also get, as you mentioned, Lucy's backstory about her being a child diver. Is that what they're called? Netrunners, Netrunner, net net trained yeah. by Arasaka, um, to become like, I don't know, like some really skilled Netrunner that they can use for their own advantage. That she lost all of her friends, and you can see why she's scared to lose David, and you can see why she was so distraught about losing Maine and Dorio. 
Like, I, I think that she's had everything taken from her in life. And now she has David, which is like the most important thing to her. And she's willing to do literally anything to protect him. And it's at this point in the story, episode seven onward, that solidified Lucy as like a real one for me. I know we talked about Rebecca being a real one. She definitely is. But Lucy dedicates everything to protecting David. Like, mm. I don't feel one ounce of selfishness. I mean, I guess you could say she's selfish because she's protecting him to keep him around in her life. Um, but like, she's sacrificing so much and putting so much on the line to keep him safe. So I, I just love Lucy after episode seven and onward. And one bit of animation I want to call out from this episode because I thought it was really impressive. Um, in the beginning, when they're raiding that place and David goes up against that, like, that really beefy guy with the sledgehammer, I love the two POVs you get of David, da David's speed ability. Oh, uh, yeah. Like First, you see his point of view where it's like, slow he's activated the sandy everything's slow the enemy is able to keep up with him for a second um and he's about to smash his head with the hammer but david jumps over him and blows his brains out like all that happens over like i don't know 20 30 seconds and then immediately after you see the exact same thing happen from everyone else's perspective and it's a split second he just blows the guy's brains out i'm like that is so cool like seeing the two perspectives of like what david's going through versus what is actually happening in real life yeah, I think that comparison is effective in just really showing the capabilities of the Sandy device and like how much David has grown in his abilities. Because yeah, we've only seen these happen, uh, these moments happen in slow time, but to see it in real time, you you get more of that effect. So it was no pun intended, very effective in that sense. And then immediately after, Julio gets blown up, and I was like, oh, poor kid. <laughs> Yeah, that's the risk of being an edge runner. That's the risk of running ahead <laughs> of the group when they tell you not to. In episode eight, Stay, which takes its title from the song Stay by Rihanna. I was going to say Britney Spears. What? I was in the middle of drinking water. I was going to be like, Britney Spears. <laughs> no, okay, there is no song by Britney Spears called Stay. But no, I love Rihanna and, and Stay is a really good song. It's a It's a perfect fit for what is happening in this episode <laughs> yeah <laughs> was it lucy wants wants david to stay yeah uh, but <laughs> to go into the synopsis david accepts faraday's mission but sees the negative effects of cyber psychosis taking hold of his cyborg body the fishy fixer is found out by arasaka's counter intel team but is offered a chance to become the main villain of the show by executing operation metal gear cyber and teaming up with cyberpunk member kiwi to double cross david and lucy Demonstrating that when there is a thirst for power, Faraday is completely cyber drunk. And so it begins the vicious cycle of upgrades, denial, and cyber psychosis. And this time it's David. He's in denial because, again, he says his mom and Maine left him something to complete and he can't stop now and he's special. Um, but yeah, I think this solidifies the path that we're going down and now we just have to sit back and watch it all unfold. I think the most impactful point of this episode is the opening scene where I thought it was a it was a flashback to like I don't know why I thought Gloria worked at Arasaka for some reason, but it, it's supposed to show like that worker at Arasaka who wants to celebrate her son joining the academy and wanting to get off work early. Like she fetches a sample for that director but then it's David who attacks the both of them 
and it's just tragic to see because this is or this woman is in the same position that Gloria was in back when you know she was trying to make ends meet for David but you know as much as like uh, David was robbed of his mother in a, a traumatic uh, drive-by accident here he's the aggressor and potential potentially ruining I mean he's not potentially ruining he is ruining this this son's life by taking away his mother yeah it's a it's a cycle um, a vicious cycle exactly how Gloria died at the hands of a, of a cyberpunk um, this mother is also dying at the hands of a cyberpunk I also thought it was commenting a little bit about the two paths that David had in front of him um, he either could have gone down the cyberpunk road route which he did or he could have worked at Arasaka, where you see this mother working late. Um, this like supervisor is treating her like shit. He's very dismissive. She's just trying to be nice. She just wants to get home to celebrate her son. Uh, but she's got to work like super fucking late because he's working super fucking late. Like, is that also a future that he wanted? Who knows? Like, of his options that were available, I mean, at that point, neither really seems enticing. Yeah, which I know, like, that's just another thing with like corporations being the man i know we all every, everyone who works in a corporate role knows exactly what's yeah. going on in that scene i think another really impactful moment from this is yeah david like just rips the <laughs> rips the ripper dock a new one by wanting as like the the immunosuppressants um to further keep his cyberpsychosis at bay but then the doc just cuts off his services and tells David, go be a legend or whatever the fuck you punks do. Like being just so dismissive of like how much David wants to get stronger. It's like, like, why do you want to become stronger in this way? Is it the right way to really strengthen your character? I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's more profit for the Ripper doc, but like at a point he knows like he, he has to just cut this off. It also shows how often it happens, right? Like, go be a hero like all of them or go be the same as all of these other guys I've had to deal with. It happens so much in this society that... Um, we live in a I was gonna society. <laughs> um, that they're just so un unaffected by it. They're just like, okay, here's another case of cyberpsychosis because somebody's upgrading too much and not listening to anybody. So... Like, when does it stop? When does the vicious cycle stop? And I feel bad for Lucy because, again, like, she's doing everything she can to protect David. She loves him. Like, he's he's the one constant in her life. Um, but with all of that said, it's at this point that I started to think, why didn't she just fucking tell him what she was doing? Like, she, she mm. was just trying to keep everybody at bay from getting to the original data around David that she deleted um like just fucking tell him like what's the harm in telling him he probably already would have known or not been surprised or the only thing I can think of is that um if David were to have known that Arasaka pinned him as a very special individual mm -hmm. who can handle these implants better than anybody else and they wanted him for their own experiments would that inflate his ego and him think that he's yeah. even more special and continue to get these fucking implants or whatnot so that's the only thing i could think of but other than that i think it would have been better if she just told him there was data on you in arasaka's memory because you were a student like maybe maybe a white lie here say you were a student 
Um, there was some data on you. I wanted to protect your identity. I'm trying to protect your identity. So that's why I have to do what I'm doing. Yeah, maybe it's just because at this point, David is like beyond all, all help, really just sucked into this idea of continuing to strengthen himself that maybe she thought keeping this project a secret from him um, would prevent him from wanting to have that ego trip of, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm special enough to take this on. And then that's when he would just enter, like cyberpsychosis would have just fully taken over his body. But unfortunately, I think like she was shit out of luck either way. Telling yeah. him and not telling him led to the same end. What did you think about Kiwi's betrayal? You think that was just came out of nowhere? Was that in this episode or the next one? It was this episode. So, it was at the end of this episode. Oh, right, right. So I, um, at first I was confused by it, but I think in the next episode, so I might be jumping a little bit ahead, I think they kind of explained it a bit where um, Kiwi was really salty about what happened to Maine and Dorio. And I think Kiwi assumed all of that could have been prevented if Lucy didn't do what she did. She intentionally mm, okay. fried Tanaka um, when she was diving into his brain or whatever um and that fried his chip that alerted his insurance company or whatever the fuck it was the trauma um, team yeah and that's why their location was blown or their cover was blown so had lucy not done that then main and dorio may have been able to survive Maine probably would have still killed everybody after like become a, becoming a cyber psycho, but there would have been more opportunities for them versus just dying in that instance. But Lucy did that in order to protect David. Okay. So I think I think Kiwi's pissed about that. Okay, that makes more sense because the only thing I saw, which she says in the next episode, is just she. I think she tells Lucy at one point like never trust a soul in Night City, and I think that that was like. That's your only reason for betraying the person that you kind of mentored, but I know she was later... saying it a later part, like, "Oh, I I was teaching her this lesson," but really, I think it was because she was salty. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, I think I think that's that was the catalyst to get her to betray them. Okay, that makes much more sense. In episode nine, humanity, which takes its title from the song "Humanity" by Scorpion, by Britney Spears. <laughs> enough <laughs> Faraday the fishy fixer learns that Lucy is protecting David from becoming a tool of Operation Metal Gear Cyber but concocts a plan that forces David to unknowingly proceed with the project and pilot the prototype Lucy manages to warn David that it's a trap nearly causing him to go mob cyber psycho 100 but his team of cyberpunks keep him sane enough to exact his revenge on Faraday, whose plans from the very beginning have always cyber stunk. So I think episode nine is the episode that solidified Rebecca for me, um, that she definitely has David's back, and she's the only one at this point in time using critical thinking skills. Um, I just, I, I really appreciated her character in these final two episodes, and I kind of wish we got more of her in the beginning, because it's not like she was a new member to the group. She mm -hmm. just wasn't utilized until the very end here. Yeah, just uh, cameos every now and then. But then she plays a pivotal part in this episode, because we see David entrusting her with a specific task during the mission, which we know later is like she'd be the one to give him as many immunosuppressants as he needs. I think Falco's the same way. Where the fuck did that guy come from? Like he, yeah. he just showed up <laughs> in the episode where I think um Maine was going psycho. Like he he 
punched Kiwi and then Falco got mad. So then Maine punched him. And then he like disappeared forever. And then he's back in these final episodes. But he's a pretty cool character too. Yeah, I think he's, I think his role is like getaway driver, but he was more relegated to a minor role before. Um, and yeah, like I, I don't remember where he popped up, but it's funny because I think he's the most normal out of these edge runners. Yeah, even even in terms of like upgrades to his body, I feel like he just has far less than everybody else. Um, and in this episode too, I mean, basically Faraday's plan succeeds and, and David installed the hardware. But if I'm understanding correctly, I think he installed the hardware, but didn't install the software. That's where like that one bar stopped right before 100%. Because I think Faraday told him like, just go ahead and install the software. Um, but that's what kept him from like fully being controlled by Faraday is just installing the hardware but not the software. I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, someone please reach out and correct me. But I that's what I was gathering in this episode. Rebecca stops him right before the 100%. Yeah, before the software completes. And that's why he doesn't go full cyber uh, psycho. Okay. Because I thought that's that's the moment where she shot him up with immunosuppressants. Because what I what I'm thinking here is like Faraday wants him to get into the cyber the cyber skeleton, but they want to try and use it on him. So they have to have some method of controlling him. They're not just going to give him a fucking mm. cyber skeleton because look at what he doesn't look at what he goes and does with it. He turns their his back on Arasaka and just like rips him a new one. So I I think maybe that's that was the difference here, but again, I could be um I, I, I could be wrong. I just think it's crazy that David went from, in episode one, a straight A student with a mom who was working hard to give him a bright and promising future where he could have lived a safe and comfortable life. And in episode nine, he's just a torso. <laughs> he's Far from a human. fucking torso. <laughs> I think you, you also mentioned there was a meme about, at this point, like Trigger revealed that this was a mecha anime oh, yeah, yeah. all along. <laughs> <laughs> I was browsing some discourse online about these later episodes of Cyberpunk and someone said effectively that like Trigger had us in the first half thinking that this would be one of the few times they didn't give us a mecha anime and then they dropped the cyber skeleton mecha on us and it is a it is a mecha anime by the end of it. But it wouldn't be Trigger without at least one mecha. Yeah. <laughs> it's a one check off of their list. Um the other thing that I don't know, this kind of another thing that came out of nowhere is I think it was a previous episode, but the uh, the introduction of Militech as a rival corporation to Arasaka, which I'm sure is established in the cyberpunk video game, but I don't think they mentioned like Faraday mentioned that he was part of Militech until only a couple episodes ago. And then now they're this force that uh, David has to deal with. Yeah, I feel like anyone who's not familiar with these cyberpunk video games, I don't even know if Militech was in the video game, um, but I, I feel like these these corporations sort of just kind of get like dropped on us at a certain point and they're not super clearly defined. So I feel like that um, could, could potentially be very confusing for certain viewers. I think it, it made... It was there t for us to make sense that Faraday was an adversary of Arasaka at first, but they made him a more enticing offer. So now he's kind of playing 
I don't know if he was playing devil's advocate, but he defected to their side um, just in his own attempt to rise up the corporate ladder. But yeah, I guess story-wise for them to just say, oh, he's part of Militech, it was just kind of random. And in the final episode, episode 10, My Moon, My Man, which takes its title from the song My Moon, My Man by Feist, David uses the Metal Gear Cyber to fight his way through Night City with a six-star wanted level, despite the increasing risk of cyberpsychosis. Huey makes a last-minute redemption by revealing Faraday, the fishy fixer's location, but all related parties happen to converge at Arasaka Tower to allow David to tie up some Lucy ends and send Faraday far away. The Arasaka corporate overlords decide to release Atom Smasher as the be-all end-all to keep the peace, so David has Lucy escape with the cyberpunks and sacrifices his cyber soul and cyber sanity to ensure that his true love can live out her cyber dreams, which she thankfully does as she buys a one-way ticket to the moon, but unfortunately without the company of her cyber hunk. Who would a cyber thunk? Holy shit. Even though this ending was super predictable and incredibly sad, I loved it. It hit so hard because, again, you knew for so long that this was all inevitable based on the choices everyone was making, especially David and all the fucking foreshadowing, but it didn't make it any easier to stomach. It was just so, like, beautiful is a weird word, but beautifully done. Um, The way, like, David swoops in and saves Lucy, the way he destroys everything, um, the way he says, the way he meets certain goals, right? Like, he told Lucy in an earlier episode that I need to carry on these these legacies and, and fill out these or fulfill these goals for like my mom and for Maine. And here you see David literally reach, I mean, literally reach the top of Arasaka Tower and say, look, mom, I did it. I reached the top of the tower just well. like you wanted. <laughs> and, and then I, I don't really know what Maine's goal was. Was it to save everybody or was it to like I don't know. Like, I don't know what his goal was, but I assume in some <laughs> way David achieved that goal for Maine. His goal I don't know. for David was to keep running. <laughs> and then his goal for Lucy, or his actually David's own personal goal, goal was to save Lucy, and he achieved that. So again, I'm going to assume he achieved Maine's goal. I couldn't figure out what what Maine's specific like goal was, but you know I don't want to dampen <laughs> the ending. But I I think that. It was very poetic, the way everything unfolded in the midst of all of this insane action. The thing I got from it was that love conquers all, even cyberpsychosis. There you go. <laughs> in a way, it sounds like a, like a cop-out, but the, the more I think of it now, like Lucy was there to calm David in his final moments before he sacrifices himself. She kisses him. Uh, and I think in that sense, it's love being the one other element that keeps David human despite him entering Metal Gear, <laughs> Metal Gear Cyber. <laughs> uh, so in that sense, it's also poetic because as much as David has, has veered far away from his own humanity, it's Lucy who still manages to keep him intact up until his very last moment. And even in the end, Lucy achieved her goal of getting to the moon. But it was thanks to David who achieved his goal of saving someone, specifically Lucy. So it was just a, a, a sad but nice, a bittersweet ending, essentially. 
Um, but I also think had David stopped with the implants sooner, um, had he made different choices, he could have gone to the moon with her. Yeah, that's the thing I like about this ending <laughs> is that, <laughs> yes, David dies, but it's because he has acknowledged at this point that he has passed the point of no return. And as he comes to terms with his, like him slowly losing his grip on humanity, he knows that he can still give Lucy a chance to keep hers despite all the shit that she's gone through. Um, in a way, like him acknowledging that she's more deserving of this happy ending than he is because of the choices that he's made. Or maybe she sacrificed everything in the end to protect David and now he's sacrificing everything in return to protect her um, and get her to the moon. <laughs> mm. And that brings us to our final thoughts for cyberpunk edge runners. So how many edgelord runners out of 10 would you give this anime? So I have to admit that for most of the anime, I was at an 8.5, but the ending, episode 10, secured this as a 9 out of 10 for me because it had such a fantastic ending, such a poetic ending that got me really emotionally invested and I cared so much about this show after watching the ending. And I feel like it's not rare necessarily to have a very strong ending in anime, but when they do come along, you just have to appreciate it. So yeah, I, I would give this a solid 9 out of 10. I would say that this show could have benefited from two more episodes, not to change the overall story, not to change the ending, not to change anything core about what happened here, but maybe to add more context in the earlier stages or around certain elements. So like, for example, um, we talked about episode 5 or six where Maine just suddenly became cyber psych cyber psychotic there mm -hmm. was no lead up no no signs of that ahead of time a little more time to the the show's overall runtime could have allowed for that or again falco just fucking shows up at some point um he's great and all but like maybe a little more time could have given us a better introduction to him or more time to build out Faraday as the villain because I feel like he was there for a little while in the beginning and then suddenly he just becomes the main villain at the end. It was very uh, like out of left field at certain points. Same with like Militech, who the fuck are they? Or Arasaka, like again, establishing a bit more about these rival corporations and why they hold so much power and why everything is centered around them. Um, David being the prime subject for the cyber skeleton, we could have built that out a little bit more. Even Adam Smasher felt kind of like a, a dropped in cameo versus like another mm -hmm. true villain. Um, cause he is the climactic villain of this entire show, but he just kind of shows up after being briefly talked about in an earlier episode. So I would have liked to have seen two more episodes, but I think they did a lot, um, just in 10 episodes. And what they did was fantastic like trigger fucking nailed it with cyberpunk edge runners it was a perfect showcase of their insane animation prowess but also reminded us that they can put together a cohesive story that grips you from beginning to end so nine out of ten what about you i gave this show an eight and a half out of ten and if there is ever one compliment that i could give to netflix within the anime sphere it's that they know how to produce anime adaptations of video game series. Granted, we haven't watched many of them, but you know we had Castlevania, uh, we had Arcane from League of Legends, and now we have Cyberpunk Edge Runners. But I think this show 
is a beautifully stylish masterclass in how adaptations should be treated and handled, where it stays true to the source material whilst crafting a story that can appeal to both fans of the video game and just newcomers. And that story is can be as simple as what is the cost for wanting to go beyond your limits to pursue your dreams? And in that same vein, can you still keep what makes you human and whole? I think 10 episodes may have not felt like enough to flesh out this story, especially with its adequate attempts at fan service to the original game. Like you said, we didn't touch upon Adam Smasher too much, but... You know, he was just mentioned briefly in a previous episode, then he shows up as the the, the final boss in episode 10, but we didn't get m- many things out of that. And, and at that point, it just felt like, oh, they wanted to just put this in to please the, the fans of the video game so they can see, oh, look, there's Adam Smasher. But other than that, the story was enough to keep me engaged, even, even having not played through the game. And... Just like you said, it's no surprise that Studio Trigger fires from all cylinders with this series, with the visual, the audio, and the cinematic presentation. And I think that makes Cyberpunk Edge Runners a very worthy standout at the close of this summer anime season. And lastly, I will admit, having had no prior knowledge or no prior interest in the game, This really makes me want to delve into Cyberpunk 2077 now. So I guess the Corpos ultimately win. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like there was a resurgence for the Cyberpunk video game after Cyberpunk Edgerunners came out. Yes, I actually have a statistic here that says the show's release caused interest in Cyberpunk 2077 to to rise dramatically with more concurrent players on Steam than during the game's launch and led it to become the most played single-player-only game on Steam by the end of the month. So yes, this this anime has had an effect on bringing cyberpunk to a more positive light. Hopefully people go over there to the video game and not get disappointed again. Because <laughs> going from the high of the anime to the video game, I don't, I've, I've heard there's been a lot of patches that things are running more smoothly than they did at launch. Um, but I don't know like how much better it is. So hopefully it's at a good place where people can jump from the anime to the video game and not be disappointed by those frustrations, those bugs, those headaches. But Those implants. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, if you end up playing the video game, let us know. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Special thank you once again to our patrons for voting for Cyberpunk Edge Runners as our review episode for this week. I loved watching it. I could definitely watch this again. Um, and the next time Carl and I can't agree on something, we will be reaching out to our patrons for their help. Um, and I'm very hungry. I want Jimmy John's for lunch. So we're going to sign off now. <laughs> Subscribe to Strictly Anime on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash the Strictly Series, where you can get those bonus episodes and the opportunity to vote for what anime we review next. Tune into Strictly JoJo, our other podcast dedicated to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, and all these links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb.
And it's just so tragic because this is exactly the same position that David and Gloria were in at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it. <laughs>